Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Glenn Longarini from the CIAC. Glenn, welcome. How are you? Doing very well, Pete. Thanks for having me back again. Thanks for coming back again. Good to see you again. Uh, you as well. Did you have a good holiday? I did. I did. How about yourself? It was great. Sometimes, uh, you know, the little slowdown and the fewer groups tends to work out nice. So it was Absolutely, nice absolutely. So, Glenn, last time we were together, we actually talked about fall sports. I was wondering if we can begin today's show, maybe recapping about the fall sports and how everything went. I'd love to, Pete. I'd say we had a great fall season. Um, you know, I think if, if we were back in August and early September, and uh, you know, we said to people, "Let's we're we're going to play about." you know, 12 to 15 games, we're going to get in a little bit of a postseason experience. Uh, and we're going to play to the, you know, first, second week of November. Uh, I think everybody would have signed up for that. And, uh, and at the beginning, you know, that that might have seemed like uh, very optimistic thinking, but that's exactly what played out. Uh, we had over 30,000 athletes who competed this fall uh, in all of our various sports. Uh, we played over 30 thousand games and practices this fall. So um, it was an incredibly uh, successful experience. And, and a lot of that goes out to our member schools, our principals, our athletic directors, our coaches, uh, who just did amazing job adhering to the COVID uh, mitigation strategies uh, that were put in place. Um, our league commissioners who designed incredible experiences uh, for kids and were constantly supporting our schools and our athletic directors and rescheduling games as uh, some, some COVID uh, related quarantines came up with various teams. Uh, but we're very proud of, of our leagues, our member schools, our ADs and all the work that they did uh, for a successful season. And, and the, the other group I think that needs to be recognized in this is our athletic trainers uh, who just did uh, a great job, uh, not only with keeping our kids on the field, but uh, being aware and, and keeping eyes on kids with COVID return to play protocols. Absolutely. And so how are things with the CIAC, how are things going with the, what's going on in the school system with the COVID? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's ever changing, Pete, as uh, you know, as we see and we've experienced uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the experience with us. And, um, you know, as we get into uh, the holiday season now, we are seeing a few more schools that have, uh, opted to go to distance learning. Um, we've mm -hmm. seen a few, um, you know, a few districts that have uh, decided to extend that um, through the end of this year and even into early next year. We're seeing dates out uh, to January 11th, January 19th as as return dates. Um, and you know, I, I think that kind of coincides with same thing. Our rationale and thinking from a CIAC end on January 19th is that. Uh, it is two weeks after the return to school from the uh, from the New Year's holiday, so uh, that seems to be the standard of uh, measurement for uh, for COVID and whether or not uh, there's been any impact of community gatherings. So we wanted to give that two week period uh, to be able to assess that, uh, but it also seems to coincide pretty well with the end of the first semester for a lot of our uh, member schools. So um, you know those two natural. Uh, kind of um, alignments there is what led us to the January uh, 19th date. But, you know, again, as an education-based uh, opportunity, it's important for us to, to do our part in everything that we can uh, to first and foremost keep kids into as much of an in-person experience in curriculum and learning uh, as we can. And, and hopefully uh, we'll have 
the majority of our schools either in person or in that hybrid scenario after the first year. Absolutely, absolutely. And as far as winter sports goes, what can people expect? What can people expect? We certainly are looking forward to uh, to January 19th when we expect that we'll be back on, um, you know, our courts and ice and and uh, and playing some of the challenges that, you know, will still remain for us at that point is um, uh, facility availability. Uh, I think mm -hmm. for a sport like indoor track, um, you know, if we don't have access uh, to college campuses, that's still going to be a significant challenge for the majority of our membership where uh, they just may not have a place that they can uh, compete. So that's something that, that we have to be aware of. Um, ice hockey, we're gonna um, you know, continue to keep a close eye on as we uh, return and the youth hockey programs get back and, and we get back to that uh, as well. It, it seems to be a bit of an anomaly with the number of cases that we've had in hockey compared to, uh, to other sports. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. we have uh, some good plans in place for mitigating strategies uh, for that as well. So, you know, we, we are looking forward to, uh, to that January 19th date, and we are optimistic that that is uh, a realistic date that hopefully we're seeing that the numbers and the trends in Connecticut beginning to decline and that uh, we, we can have a, uh, a good uh, winter season begin at that point. And now what about basketball season? Yeah, same thing, Pete. I'll start on that January uh, 19th date. Uh, we're in the process right now of looking at basically the, the entire rest of the year. So uh, we want to get those spring dates set as well, as well as the alternative season and the winter season to understand uh, kind of on a sliding scale. If, uh, you know, if something, uh, you know, does get delayed, how does that impact the alternative season? Uh, again, our, our board has been pretty clear that they want to have as minimal of an impact to the spring season as possible. So, uh, you know, that's going to be I think a priority as well, um, but we also right. want to provide opportunities uh, for the other experiences that kids missed last year. So, um, you know, we didn't get to complete a basketball season, a hockey season, uh, a boys swim championship season last year. So as much as possible, we want to provide those experiences to kids as well. Uh, and for we basketball, we expect that to start January 19th. And now are there going to be spectators allowed or? That's to be determined at this point. Um, you know, our, our recommendation through the fall was to not have spectators. Uh, and again, I think it, it coincides with what we've come to know about uh, where COVID spreads in relation to sports. So, you know, we've seen very little spread um, from team to team. So uh, very, you know, that inter-team play, uh, team A playing team B and, and somebody on team A having COVID and team B contracting right. it. We're seeing very little of that. But we are seeing transmission within teams. So, you know, the intra-team spread of COVID uh, we have seen. And, and again, I think that relates more to community-based um, spread and, and what's happening uh, in various communities. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, it, not having fans in attendance, again, we just feel does align with, particularly uh, when you're talking about indoors with that recommendation based on the increasing numbers of where we are right now. Um, you know, I think, I think that makes sense. And uh, again, the, the areas that when our kids go into a gym and play, um, the, the school has to prep that for gym classes the next day. It's an instructional right. space. Um, so, you know, to try to limit the people that are in there um, and, and keep up with 
uh, the sanitation. Uh, again, I, I think our focus needs to be on providing the best opportunity for kids to play. And if that means that, you know, parents have to watch via video stream, then, mm -hmm. you know, and unfortunately, you know, that may mean uh, what it has to be, uh, at least at the beginning as we get back. But again, I think the numbers will really dictate that. I think what's happening across uh, the state and in the Northeast will, uh, will dictate that and our board will make adjustments as they see fit along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. And as far as what's going on with the rising number of COVID impact in-person learning, let's talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, P, that, that's a place that, again, right now, I think has been a, a very big topic of discussion for our member schools. And uh, as we were meeting as a board to look at uh, whether or not we would consider starting in December or push this out, you know, one of the right. things that we asked our member schools is um, if your school went out on distance learning for staffing issues, would you continue with your athletics program? Uh, and we had about, um, you know, about 40% of our schools who said that if they went out for any reason, uh, they would not uh, continue with any activities. Uh, we had about 15% of our member schools who uh, responded that if they went out for staff related issues, they would continue with practices, but not games. And then about 45% of our member schools who said that they would continue with both practices and games. But, you know, when we were looking at 55% of our member schools that would not continue competing if uh, they went to distance learning for any reason, um, you know, that that was certainly important for, for us to understand um, how schools are really struggling, I think, with um, with the COVID numbers right now and how to balance uh, getting our kids into instruction, which everybody values, um, but at the same time, respecting uh, the, the community and, uh, and also the teachers that, and, and the staff that we're dealing with. I mean, we're seeing schools that unfortunately, because of quarantines and, and other protocols, uh, may have upwards of 50, 60, 70 teachers out in their district. And it's just not possible to get substitutes in for all those teachers. So we're, we're seeing that impact schools needing to uh, to go to distance learning, you know, for, formats at that point. So um, that is, again, those are things that as an education-based opportunity, we need to be well aware of and we need to be in alignment with. So it's important we maintain communication, not only with our member school principals, but with superintendents as well to, to understand how we can first and foremost support the learning environment, and then we can get to the extracurriculars and the sports, which we see as an extension of the school curriculum. Exactly. As a matter of fact, one of the, I was doing some research over the weekend for tonight's show. One of the people that you have on your staff is Bob Hale. Yep. Yeah. Bob actually, Bob actually was a high school, was an assistant principal at the Morgan School in Clinton when I was there. Yeah, you know, Bob, Bob is just, uh, he's an outstanding uh, resource for us. And he's running, actually, I have the uh, the, special, the, the Special Olympic uh, patch on here tonight. And uh, Bob runs our unified program uh, with, through Special Olympics with uh, oh, nice. uh, with the CIAC. He is the head of that and, uh, and does an incredible job uh, with that. But, uh, you know, Bob's, uh, his, his knowledge, his experience uh, as an administrator, as a high school principal, um, you know, is invaluable uh, in terms of, of the decision-making that we have. So you, you certainly had a great administrator and teacher there, Bob. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a little about little bit about the partnership between the Special Olympics and the CIAC. How's it work? Yeah, the Unified Sports Program. Um, we are the premier uh, program of unified sports in the country. Uh, everybody else looks at Connecticut as the gold standard for setting unified sports, and mm -hmm. uh, you know that has a tremendous amount to do, uh, you know, with with the folks that are running it, and a lot of that comes from. Uh, the support from Special Olympics, which uh, we couldn't run that without. Uh, Bo Doherty uh, has just been, you know, an, an incredible uh, resource for us and, and partner with us. And then, as I said, you know, Bob has just done an, a, a great job of running this. And before Bob Georgeson is, um, you know, really took this program and, and made it into what it is today. But, um, you know, we have so many schools around the state that are uh, participating in various sports, whether it's soccer or basketball or volleyball or, uh, you know, number of leadership opportunities that, that are out there. And so we'll see um, a, uh, a, an able-bodied peer with a, a unified peer that will go out to engage in these sport activities um, and just have an incredible experience. Uh, we, we've run unified basketball games uh, at the halftime of the state championships up at Mohegan. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just such a joy to watch these kids play. It's, um, I tell you, when you, when you think about the joy that sports should bring in high school, um, right. watching those kids is the unfiltered joy that, that you would just uh, expect to see at the high school level. It's, uh, it's really uh, tremendous. And uh, to Bob's credit, it, it has grown to a point where we're actually looking at creating more competitive divisions uh, within the unified uh, setting. So uh, again, the, the team just continues uh, to amaze us in what they're doing and be the gold standard for uh, unified activities across the country. Absolutely. Now, how closely do does CIAC work with the governor's office to get information about the pandemic and what's going on? Yeah, the governor's office and DPH have, have really been very good partners. Um, Paul Mounds is, uh, as you know, is the chief of staff for the uh, Governor Lamont, and uh, yeah. he has been a, a very good resource uh, for us, um, always uh, available to respond and take questions from us. Uh, both him and uh, Commissioner Gifford throughout the process um, have had uh, multiple conversations, Zoom calls with us. Uh, David Lehman, who is the commissioner of the ECD, also has been uh, a great resource in, in uh, providing us with some thoughts of uh, what they're seeing from other states as well. Um, you know, we do communicate just this morning. Again, I was on uh, a conference call for about an hour with the other executive directors in New England uh, and our, our section one um, of the NFHS. But uh, being able to hear from, uh, from David and Deirdre and, and Paul of what's going on in other states as well from the youth sport level um, has been very, uh, very helpful. And, uh, and it's been a good partnership. We're very appreciative of the, uh, their willingness to, uh, to collaborate with us. I've actually never interviewed Commissioner Lehman before. What's he like? He's a great guy. Um, Is he? Know, he's just, um, I, I tell you, he's, um, he's, he's very um, rational. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, I just, you know, I, I find that, uh, you know, any conversation with him, whether you know, it's a short conversation or something that we have a little bit more time uh, to spend together. They're all meaningful and you, you walk away with good information. Um, he's, uh, he's very direct and, and you know exactly 
uh, the direction that's, uh, that, that he's looking to take and, uh, and the information that he's providing. Uh, so to you know, him and, and, and again, all, all the staff up there, they, they've just become a very uh, trustworthy source, uh, source for us and good partner. Now, as far as other people, you guys also work with K our, our friends at CABE. We do, yeah. Um, Bob Rader, Patrice McCarthy, you know, uh, gr great people over there as well. Uh, and, and as you said, I mean, when you try to think about um, all the elements that go into uh, school sports, I mean, certainly our, our boards of education are right there right. In, the, in the forefront. Um, you know, and, and when there's decisions to be made on local levels, uh, it's not easy for them as well. And, uh, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things that uh, I, I, I give everybody uh, you know, credit for, for all the work that they're doing. Everybody in their own district is making decisions that they feel are in the best interest of their communities. And, and that's including uh, our board members. And, you know, there, there is no uh, playbook. There's no, there's no rules for <laughs> dealing with the pandemic. We're, we're all, uh, you know, navigating through this and learning as we go. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things, again, when you think that, that the, uh, the board of ed positions, their volunteer positions, their elected officials, and um, you know the time that they're given under these extraordinary circumstances, uh, we're just very grateful for the work that they're doing at this time. Absolutely, absolutely. And as far as the aspect of schooling goes, as compared to in schooling and learning, remote learning, how are things going? Everybody's interest is to get kids to in-person learning as much as possible. I think everybody right. understands uh, the, ben the benefit and the value of in-person learning uh, versus distance learning. Uh, but that being said, um, the, that value decreases if it's not safe for the kids to be in the building. If, it create, right. if, you, if you don't have the ability to socially distance, if you don't have uh, the PPE necessary um, to, to have kids and to have your staff in, uh, if you don't have enough staff there, then, you, you know, you start to diminish the effectiveness of that. So uh, that's why everybody's focus is let's get the kids in school. Let's get, get the kids in the building uh, as much as we can. It is the most effective way uh, to instruct the kids. But, um, you know, in the absence of that uh, over time, uh, again, I think Commissioner Cardona from the State Department of Education um, mm -hmm. and, and his staff and his team up there, uh, just like the rest of us, you know, we, we've learned a lot from March till now and the, the resources that the State Department of Education are providing, um, the knowledge that our districts are continuing to grow with um, as we move from week to week and month to month. I think the distance learning experiences uh, have become better experiences for, uh, for our kids, um, but nothing is going to replace that in-person uh, experience. Yeah. How many schools do does CIAC deal with? We have 186 member high schools. Uh, okay. That that includes the CIAC. Uh, th those are the schools that compete in CIAC sports. Um, mm -hmm. We also, on the Connecticut Association of Schools side, uh, where we also work with elementary schools and middle schools, uh, we have over 900 schools that we work with and represent uh, on uh, when you look at a K through 12 capacity. You guys are a pretty big organization. It's you know it, it's a it's a big group from a professional development uh, aspect and uh, working to uh, to represent principals and administrators and their views 
uh, in legislature. Um, we have a, again, a, a great uh, legislative and lobbying team in, uh, in mm -hmm. Mike Rell and in Jim Amen, who uh, just do a great job uh, working with us. But, uh, you know, representing the, uh, the principal's perspective in legislature is a big part uh, of what we do. And, and we are uh, a bit unique. There's, there's not too many organizations like us around the country. We're both the academic uh, side of the Principals Association and the athletic side operate um, out of right. the same group. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Uh, most of the states that don't, as we talk to them, they'd like to have that type of, uh, of organization uh, rather than, you know, trying to always find out What's that other side thinking? For us, it's all under one umbrella, and uh, you know it, it's it's a good communication uh, strategy, and and it really keeps the focus on education first. Absolutely, absolutely. And as far as after the winter, we start thinking about spring sports. What do we? What do we? Any idea what we're thinking about the spring spring sports for the twenty twenty one season? Yeah, Pete, you know, the, the spring is what um, we've really, you know, been looking at as well in terms of wanting to disrupt as little as possible. Uh, I think everybody appreciates and understands that uh, we want to provide experiences for all kids if possible, uh, but we also want to want to remember we can't discount and forget what we lost last year and our spring kids lost everything. So we right. want to maintain as much of a uh, full season as possible, tournament experiences for kids as possible uh, in the spring, because, you know, if you're losing that, then it's not only seniors that are losing, you know, kind of this, but now you have juniors who lost that last year and would potentially, you know, be right. missing that again. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll look to, uh, to really solidify uh, what we see as reasonable dates for that spring, uh, spring season. And, uh, try to stick to those uh, as much as we can. And then, as I said, kind of work backwards from there uh, with the uh, with the winter and alternative seasons um, with that. But uh, we'd like to uh, to impact as little as possible those spring uh, sports and, and give kids as much of a full experience as we can in those. And we're thinking of going a little bit longer into June, you know, with the okay. um, uh, this year, you, you can use the distance learning days for snow days. So you know, we're not going to see too many snow days in the school districts this year. Um, okay. the, the school year has been reduced from 180 days for kids to 177. Um, okay. So, you know, I, I think from that standpoint, the impact from that for us is just looking at most of our kids are going to graduate when their original calendar said they were going to graduate this year. So we're not going to see, right. you know, schools going into late June, which maybe we thought there, there would be. Um, as we were coming into the school year, we, we know now that we're not going to see that. So, you know, we're, we're probably looking at the second, third week of June uh, when most schools will be out for the summer at that point. Now, as far as the legislative session goes, I'm sure that's even going to look different this year. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a short session this year. Um, so I believe uh, that'll start up in January. I think bills yeah. are due. Um, the first week of February or February 1st, and, um, you know, then we'll be back in session there. But I tell you, the legislative session, um, just like the schools and just like our businesses and everything else that we're running, they have an awful lot from last year's agenda uh, that they didn't oh, get yeah. to, you know, because, because know. Uh, this was pushed out. So, um, you know, I, I, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, uh, you know, for that, for our legislators as well as, you know, how do you prioritize bills that were in committee last year 
um, you know, that probably will be resubmitted this year? And how do you get that as, as much on the, the dockets as you can to be heard in the various committees and then potentially uh, come out of that? So, um, you know, it, it'll be a, a, a very busy uh, couple months, uh, I think, as, as they're trying to really uh, almost put two legislative sessions into one with a short time frame. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll be ready for that as, uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I, we do anticipate a couple positive things in there with um, some emergency action plan legislation and heat illness legislation that uh, anticipating uh, we've been ahead of and our member schools have been, been ahead of. So, um, you know, those will become easy things for us to support and it'll be good for kids in the long run. I can say tell, we got a little bit more time left. So tell us a little bit of my little bit about what you guys are expecting to see this legislative session. Yeah, so, um, you know, particularly in the emergency action plan piece, I think, you know, it's um, all of our schools, uh, you know, at this point that they have been trained, we, we, we do have recommendations out there for emergency action plans and, and having those plans in place, rehearsing those uh, really could could be a difference as somebody, um, you know, surviving a catastrophic, a catastrophic event or not. Um, we saw that play out in, uh, in a school in the western part of the state last year where um, uh, an official um, had a cardiac uh, incident uh, in a game. And because the, the school was well prepared in an emergency action plan, it very well may have saved that, um, that, that official's life. And so, you know, we understand the importance of that. And so all of our schools have an emergency action plans, we do think. Uh, is something that is appropriate. We do expect something legislatively to be put out uh, this year that that would be around that topic and again something we can support. The other place is around heat illness and again heat illness is something that you know we've come to understand uh, you know can be prevented again with uh, when when you suffer from cardiac incidents and, and other incidents uh, even the best plans where you have AEDs and you have things hooked up to to people you know that there's no guarantee that that is going to uh, potentially save the life. But we do know that if you can reduce the, the body temperature of a person going into uh, heat illness in a timely manner, that that can save the person's life. Um, so with that, we've partnered with the Corey Stringer Institute from UConn that has been uh, an incredible group to work with, led by uh, Dr. Doug Casey up there and uh, we, uh, Doug Casa, and we have um, taken uh, the work that they've done. Uh, they've been able to uh, really teach us and inform us. And we've translated that into some training for uh, for our member schools. And with that, we reached out to ask how many of them have cold water immersion tubs. And those that didn't, uh, we provided that to you. So there were over 60 schools that uh, the CIAC provided uh, with those cold water immersion tubs uh, this year. And we did that in partnership with the Connecticut Athletic Trainers Association. So one longer reading from CIAC. Thanks for some time and we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. All right. Thanks, Lynn. On behalf of Glenn Longarini, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks. Good night. We'll see you next time.